The Island Digest is a sampling of the stories in this week's Journal of the San Juans, Islands Sounder, and Islands Weekly, which are on newsstands now. The August 16th edition is brought to you by Orcus Center. I'm Caleb Summers. Headlines from the week of August 16th, 2023. Free summer concert series continues on the green. Orcus Fire Commissioners shape Plan B after Levy fails in primary. Last Orca taken from Salish Sea may soon return home. State Transportation Commission adopts new ferry fares. Fire ban update plus excerpts from the San Juan County Sheriff's Log. First, from the Islands Sounder, free summer concert series continues in the green. Dirty Cello with Wolf Child Get ready for cello like you've never heard before. On Sunday, August 20th at 6 p.m., Dirty Cello comes to the Village Green as part of the free summer concert series presented by Orcus Center, Orcus Song Farm, Country Corner, and The Outlook Inn. Combine the virtuosic wail of Jimi Hendrix, the soul of B.B. King, and the fire of Bill Monroe, and add a whole lot of cello, and you get the Dirty Cello Band. Dirty Cello performs all over the world, from Iceland to Israel, from Scottish castles to underground caves, presenting an energetic and wild show that's been described as Dirty Cello's music is all over the map. Funky, carnival, romantic, sexy, tangled, electric, fiercely rhythmic, and textured, and only occasionally classical by Oakland Magazine. The band plays every style imaginable and does some fantastic covers. Their rendition of Purple Haze is incredible. But what is most spectacular about them is hearing the depth of soul in Rodman's playing. It goes beyond what most people would expect from the instrument. She plays it with so much heart, you'll wonder why more bands don't have a cellist. Good Times, Santa Cruz. Opening for Dirty Cello is Wolfchild, a Seattle-based cinematic folk rock band with influences ranging from the immersive, earthy sounds of Gregory Allen Isakov, Lord Huron, and the Paper Kites, to the contemporary experimentation you might expect from Bon Iver, Fleet Foxes, or Andrew Bird. At the core of the project is Gabriel Wolfchild and his brother, Elion Truthheart. Gabriel's emotive lyricism, enchanting vocals, and unique guitar work quickly won over Adam Levine, Blake Shelton, and Christina Aguilera on NBC's The Voice with his soulful rendition of Dylan's Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, and culminated in a national tour. Elion is a virtuoso multi-instrumentalist who effortlessly flows between drums, a variety of exotic string and woodwind accompaniment, and a rich vocal harmony that only brothers can create. Together, they weave cathartic storytelling with dynamic soundscapes, from dreamy, shoegaze-esque weightless atmosphere to meditative orchestral overtones and a rhythmic, cinematic sound that could be the love child of Jonesy, Sigur Rós, and Nick Drake. Shook Twins with Rafe Perlman on Sunday, August 24th, at 6 p.m., the Shook Twins come to the Village Green. 
Perhaps it could be attributed to cosmic design, good old-fashioned magic, or the unspoken yet understood bond all twins share. One day, back in 2007, identical twin sisters, Caitlin Shook, vocals, guitar, and Lori Shook, banjo, vocals, found themselves writing, recording, and performing as Shook Twins. To their recollection, the pair never hatched a plan or even properly discussed it. Hundreds of shows, four albums, and two EPs later, the duo continues to tread this path. Neither of us remembers a time where we planned things out. It all unfolded naturally, affirms Caitlin. We simply started to play out and call ourselves Shook Twins because that's simply who we are. We never set specific goals either, adds Lori. We talk about our hopes and dreams, but we've just let everything grow organically with the band. We'll see what happens next. Since their 2008 debut, You Can Have the Rest, Shook Twins have conjured up dreamy folk with ghostly traces of Americana tradition, uplifted by transcendently hummable melodies and lilting cinematic instrumentation. Along the way, legendary New York Times best-selling author Neil Gaiman, USA Today, Langhorn Slim, Mason Jennings, and more fell under their spell and publicly professed adoration. Opening for the Shook Twins is Rafe Perlman with Shiswan. Rafe Perlman started his singing career with the Wolves, Ravens, and Sled Dogs of the Alaskan Wilderness. His intention with his music is to inspire a vision of a world in harmony and unity, celebrating diversity, sustainability, and equality for all beings. Sometimes a simple song is all it takes to open a connection. Perlman will be joined for the first time on stage with Grammy-nominated multi-instrumentalist, songstress, producer, Chiswan Violin Erhu Piano, a native of Taiwan, her body of work spans a multitude of genres and reaches beyond borders. She is a long-standing member of the legendary Corky Siegel's Chamber Blues. While being featured as a soloist in various recordings and performances, Shiswan continues to work with a variety of artists. From playing with Yo-Yo Ma and Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys to Grammy Award winner David Foster and His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Her renowned skill and eclectic versatility with the violin, erhu, and piano can be heard throughout the globe. Orcus Fire Commissioners Shape Plan B After Levy Fails in Primary by Toby Cooper The Orcus Board of Fire Commissioners held a special meeting on Thursday, August 10th to consider their options following the decisive defeat of the proposed levy lid lift nine days earlier. The board was joined by Interim Chief Holly Van Shake and about two dozen online and in-person attendees. The unpopular ballot measure would have effectively raised the fire department's component of Orcas property taxes by nearly 83%, with voters rejecting their measure by a lopsided 77% negative vote and with the one incumbent commissioner on the primary ballot edged out by two challengers, the board seemed poised to take a deep breath and move forward cautiously. When Van Shake was asked for her advice, she did not hesitate. 
She noted that the board needs to fulfill its obligation to fully fund the fire department's operations and capital needs, but at the same time, the weighty no vote, she felt, sends a message the board cannot afford to ignore. She offered two specific suggestions. First, she urged the board to resubmit the ballot measure for the November election with one modification, namely to include a sunset provision such that the new levy rate of $1.06 per $1,000 of assessed property value would end after six years, instead of the open-ended time frame embedded in the current proposal. Before the board can decide on the change, the county prosecutor must approve the language. Second, Van Schaik placed before the board a 2024 budget plan that provides the best possible service level to the community, given the defeat of the August measure, and would continue to do so even if the second ballot measure were to fail in November. In essence, if a revised ballot measure passes in November, new money would become available starting in April 2024. If the ballot measure fails in November and the board is forced to seek another ballot measure in November 2024, new money would become available starting in April 2025. For this budget plan to work, Van Shake contemplates three cuts in service. Eliminate three full-time paid EMT positions, defer replacement of an aging but still serviceable fire engine, and defer a planned building, roofing, upgrade. If the November 2023 measure passes, these cuts would be restored. As a final footnote to the austerity budget, Van Shake notes that the contracted purchase of a new ambulance cannot now be cancelled, but that once delivered, the new ambulance could be used as collateral for a loan if stopgap funding were needed in 2024. Inevitably, the reduced service levels will weigh on the community, according to Van Shake. Her counter to that reduction is to foster teamwork at all levels of the fire department. In fact, she says, a good outcome in the work we do is not a function of high-performance individuals, but rather is a function of high-performance team dynamics. The board recognized that it cannot make decisions on the ballot measure modifications until the county prosecutor approves the language. Accordingly, a decision meeting was scheduled for Monday, August 14th, after the Sounders press deadline. From the Journal of the San Juan Islands Last Orca Taken from Salish Sea May Soon Return Home By Kelly Balcom Bartok Editor's Note Kelly Balcom Bartok is the son of Ken Balcom and the nephew of Howard Garrett, two key participants in this story and efforts to return the whale in this report to the Pacific Northwest, and was also involved in efforts to release her during the 90s. She goes by many names. Some call her Lolita, an early stage name given her in the 1970s when she was just a young girl. Some call her Tokite, a Coast Salish greeting that means nice day, pretty colors. Some call her Skali Chuktanot, an indigenous name given by the Lummi Nation to acknowledge her unique ties to the Pacific Northwest. While humans will never know her name given to her at birth by her mother, millions know her as the last remaining southern resident killer whale taken during the capture era in Washington State over five decades ago. Skali Chuktanot, 
was born in the Salish Sea in the mid-1960s, spending her early formative years with her tight-knit family, learning the language and traditions of her extended clan. Surrounded by loving family, she familiarized herself with the world around her, the ever-flowing inland straits of the Salish Sea, the dark, deep undersea terrain of the western coast of North America, the waxing and waning of the moon passing overhead. She was taught by her ancestors the pulse of the tides, rising and falling like the beat of a heart. Over time, she became aware of the ebb and flow of the life-giving salmon her family depends upon for survival. Constantly on the move, she developed a keen knowledge of her family's long-held favored fishing grounds, along with the strategies to successfully hunt, survive, and thrive. As a young child, she quickly developed a proficiency in the ways of her clan. The dialect of those closest to her soon became her own. The knowledge and traditions passed down from generation to generation, becoming second nature to her as the young whale grew and matured. Then one day, all that ended. What makes Skali Chuktanot so special is both a blessing and a curse. She has a good-hearted nature, a deep curiosity of the isolated world around her, and an unparalleled patient for her current situation. She has been held in a small tank barely deeper than she is long for most of her life since she was an adolescent child, and yet she still retains a palpable sense of joy towards life. Now, in her mid-fifties, she has seen and lived an isolated life few could ever imagine or tolerate, yet all the while she retains her joy for living. While the conditions of her situation are worlds away from the life she would have lived, she continues to experience every sunrise, survive every hurricane that batters the Florida coastline, and greet every visitor with an inquisitive and soulful gaze. According to Jessie White, her veterinarian for the first twenty years of her captivity, who traveled from Miami to Seattle in 1970 to select a mate for a captive orca named Hugo, also removed from the Pacific Northwest, she was so beautiful, unmarked, just a mellow, nice animal. Little did anyone know at the time that this mellow whale would outlast every other whale taken from her extended family and home waters over five decades ago. Skali Chuktanot has been in captivity in a small tank in Miami since men walked on the moon. Paul McCartney announced the Beatles disbanded, the U.S. invaded Cambodia, 10,000 people protested the Vietnam War, the Walt Disney World theme park opened in Florida, and the Soviet Union launched Salyut-1, the first space station into low Earth orbit. Her life at the Miami Seaquarium was spent day in and day out performing for visitors, young and old, who visited the Miami Seaquarium, a 38-acre oceanarium located on the island of Virginia Key in Biscayne Bay, Miami-Dade County, Florida, near downtown Miami. Although her trainers and veterinarians deeply cared for and about Skali Chuktanot throughout the years, until just recently her life has been spent entirely in show business. Over the past five decades, Skali Chuktanot 
has entertained millions of people. For most who came to see the show, it was their first encounter with a killer whale. Every person walking into that small stage and pool was greeted by Skali Chuktanot, a beautiful and intelligent representative of her species, often making eye contact with visitors and nearly always touching the hearts of those who came to see her perform. Meantime, she has not been forgotten by many who have long held hope for an eventual return to her home waters of the Salish Sea. One of those who has never given up hope, even when it sometimes has seemed a futile gesture, is Howard Garrett of Freeland, Washington, living just miles from where Skali Chuktanot was reft from her clan so many, many years ago. Garrett has personally seen the ebb and flow of Skali Chuktanot's life from afar. He first became involved in her life's saga back in the 1990s, when his brother, the late Ken Balcom, along with then-Secretary of State Ralph Monroe, Governor Mike Lowry, and others, spearheaded an effort to attempt to return Skali Chuktanot, then Lolita, to her home waters in Washington State. In the mid to late 1990s, significant publicity was generated for her release, including a Seattle Times special in Pacific Magazine titled Free Lolita, Captured by Showbiz, Can She Come Home Again? A Dateline NBC special that provided national coverage, two documentaries titled Lolita, Slave to Entertainment and Lolita, Spirit in the Water were released, reaching hundreds of thousands of people. In Miami, Lolita garnered the attention and support of the owner of Ocean Drive magazine, a lifestyle and fashion publication providing frequent and sustained coverage of her plight. While closer to home, Garrett would write a piece for the Island Independent titled Willie, Keiko, and Lolita, The Inside Story. On March 9, 1995, under a moist and overcast sky, Balcom joined Washington Secretary of State Monroe and Governor Lowry to hold a press conference at the Daybreak Star Indian Cultural Center in Seattle, calling for the release of Lolita, Skali Chuktanat, to her native waters of the Salish Sea. According to Garrett, who attended the press conference along with this author, the effort was based on Ken's work to research how to return Keiko from Free Willy fame back to his ocean home, so he just applied all that knowledge to Lolita, as she was known at the time. The captive marine mammal industry, however, aggressively fought back, resisting any and every effort to release any captive orca from their highly profitable facilities worldwide. Fearing the precedence it would set and arguing the animals were happy and healthy in their care, the captive industry spent large amounts of time and money to defeat and or defame any efforts to return wild orcas to their natural habitats. We were up against the drumbeat of the sea aquarium and the entire marine park industry, said Garrett, convincing the public that once in captivity, always in captivity, for a whole variety of made-up reasons. But the simple statement, which was like a bumper sticker slogan, was, It'll kill her, and most of the public at that time agreed. This is a multi-part series, to be continued next week. 
From the Islands Weekly, State Transportation Commission Adopts New Ferry Fares. The Washington State Transportation Commission approved adjustments to ferry fares beginning this fall at its Thursday, August 10th hearing. The changes in fares were made to ensure the state meets revenue requirements set forth in the 2023-25 state transportation budget passed by the legislature and enacted by the governor this year. The adopted fare changes will raise passenger and vehicle fares by 4.25% on October 1, 2023, and again on October 1, 2024, increase the current discount for multi-ride passes by 1%. The additional discount for the multi-ride passes will expire on September 30, 2025. The Commission also adopted a policy change to the fuel surcharge rule to clarify that a fuel surcharge can only be implemented after review and approval by the Commission. For information on the Commission's fair-setting process, visit the fair-setting section of the Commission's website, wstc.wa.gov. In County News, Fire Ban Update the San Juan County Fire Marshal has declared a ban on all recreational fires effective August 14th. Due to current atmospheric and field conditions, this ban on all recreational fires applies throughout San Juan County. All of western Washington is under an excessive heat, as advertised by the National Weather Service. The following operations are prohibited during the burn ban. No recreational campfires using charcoal or firewood. No outdoor cooking fires involving charcoal or firewood. Pellet grills are approved. No tiki torches or similar product with an open flame fueled by oil. The following is allowed with best practices followed. Mowing is limited to no later than noon. All mowing operations need to cease after 12 p.m. Maintain awareness for rock strikes. Avoid mowing dry, dead grass. Propane-fueled appliances, i.e. barbecue, outdoor fireplace. Have water and or a fire extinguisher available. Grinding, welding, torch-cutting outdoors by permit only through the fire marshal's office. Outdoor shooting. Backstop must be clear of vegetation. And now... Some choice excerpts from the San Juan County Sheriff's Log. On August 4th, on Orcas, deputies contacted an individual who lost their animals. The individual was given guidance on how to reacquire the animals. A deputy stopped the driver of a vehicle on Orcas Road. The driver, a visitor to the island, was subsequently issued a citation for speeding 68 miles per hour in a 40 mile per hour zone. I notice that they make sure to mention that this person was a visitor to the island. Ah, the 90 days of August. On August 5th, a newer model Ford Bronco has been seen illegally dumping trash at Audlin Park. Two of the vehicles are registered on Lopez. A deputy will follow up with each owner. A Lopez deputy was called regarding a verbal disturbance between a husband and wife visiting from out of state. 
again with the note that they are not local. On August 8th, deputies on San Juan were dispatched to an assault on board a Washington State ferry. One person was arrested and charged with three counts of assault third degree, one count of second degree malicious mischief, and one count of possession of contraband by a prisoner. A.K.A. Don't mess with the fairies. And this concludes the August 16th edition of the Island Digest. This edition is brought to you by Orcus Center. Orcus Center is your place for fun and intrigue this summer with live concerts, performances, art openings, and more. To check out upcoming events and purchase tickets, visit www.orcuscenter.org. Thank you for listening to the Island Digest a small sampling of what's in your local print newspapers this week. The Journal, Sounder, and Weekly rely upon advertising, subscriptions, and donations to support our mission of high-quality community journalism. To contribute, visit our websites or email publisher Colleen Smith Summers at csmith at soundpublishing.com. Thanks for tuning in again. And come back next week for more local news from San Juan County, Washington. I'm Caleb Summers.